Hello and welcome to another episode of Story Screen Presents, the StoryScreenBeacon.com podcast series. I'm your host today, Diana Demuro. I'm joined by Michael Burge. Hello. And we're kicking off a brand new podcast series in honor of Spooky Town. Happy Halloween on this October 31st special episode for you guys. We're going to kick off a new series on the films of writer-director Mike Flanagan, who you may know from such Netflix hits as Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor, or Ouija, Origin of Evil, Mm. Oculus, some other goodies. We're going to get into that, Um, but I'm going to be dubbing this new series that Mike and I are going to take turns hosting and I'm, I'm calling it Freaking Out with Flanagan, since most of his stuff is spooky. And Hill House gave me some bad mamma jamma dreams. So I thought it would be fun to kind of go back and look at some of his original content, some of his older filmography, and kind of what built up to his series today. His new series, Midnight Club, just dropped on Netflix. We just finished watching that. But we're going to kick it off today with a little bit of his earlier filmography, and before we kind of get into the couple of films that we watched recently, I kind of just wanted to start out by asking Mike, what do you most like about Flanagan content? Since he's done both TV and film, he's a really prolific editor on a bunch of other stuff that we'll touch on, but I think most of the stuff that we know is film and TV, and what do you like about Mike Flanagan? I mean, Mike Flanagan is just like, uh, he's one of my favorite working directors right now. There's like a lot to like about him. Uh, his writing is very good and poignant and inherently spooky, which lends itself to when they're actually directing it, whether he's directing something that he wrote or someone else's that's on his like crew, like in like the shows and stuff like that. Um, it's very easy to make that. Uh, very scary and very tense. And when you also toss in Flanagan in particular, but also a lot of his crew, uh, how good they are at lighting and uh, shooting for editing and kind of framing things within the scene. Like that's one of my, one of the big reasons why I love Steven Spielberg so much is that he's just such a, 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 a master at framing shots and making it look easy, even though it's not, it's one of the hardest things to make something look good. Cause there's, you know, the costume design and the yeah. lighting and the framing and the blocking and all of that stuff. And Flanagan's just really good kind of top down from like either coming up with a good idea for a story on his own uh, or adapting something that, you know, pretty much seemed unadaptable. Like yeah, he did that twice with Stephen King books. Where Stephen like, King, he's got Shirley Jackson, yeah. he's mm-hmm. got Henry James, you know, he's now he's doing the Christopher Pike books. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's just uh, extremely fun to watch and to kind of uh, see what he does as like, you know, even something as similar as Hill House and Blind Manor, those series, like they're, there's a lot of similarities to them, obviously, like they're kind of like, you know, Blind Manor is like a second season of Hill House, kind of. Um, but even in there, like there's differences in it that like it's kind of a different type of scary, even though they're kind of dealing with like the same kind of supernatural forces and stuff. Yeah, and- I like how he uses ghosts to to use ghosts as like a metaphor for lots of different things. Yeah, and that's what and, I was going to say. And his, dealing with different things. Yeah, his yeah. his his take on trauma and grief, grief. and, you know, yeah. how families, like the family unit can kind of deal with those traumatic things in different ways he's very good at mixing those with metaphors again whether they be stories that he's kind of coming up with on the fly that are inspired by other classic stories or if he's actually taking classic stories and putting like a 21st century spin on them yeah uh he's a lot of fun and he's a super nice guy i was gonna say because that's one of my favorite things so far is now going back and watching some of these older movies in his filmography and seeing actors that have continued to resurface in later work. So he's kind of got this like nice group of actors that have worked with him on each project. And then it's like, they must actually really enjoy working with him because they keep coming back again and again. Yeah. Yeah, So it's pretty awesome. It's got that kind of American horror story ensemble to it, or like watching a play with the same 
core group of actors and then them do a different play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of fun to see people pop up in, in cameos or who gets to be a main character this time. I would say most notably, Mr. Henry Thomas. Mm. Boom, boom. He's there so he good. Mm. And yeah, I would say, you know, I can't really imagine too many films in my mind that he was in as an adult. I feel like Legends of the Fall is one of the few ones I can actually name off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But after E.T., it's sort of like, okay, what happened to Henry Thomas? I know he made other movies, but I love seeing him in all the Flanagan stuff. So yeah. yeah, and it's like you get big big names like that and, you know, new people kind of like arriving on the scene and getting really famous. Yeah, you know, like off Kate of like Siegel. This, yeah, and yeah. Um, it's it's fun to see like, oh, everybody keep, a lot of people keep coming back and sticking through. And then whenever they add new people, right. then like, oh, now they're like back for like. They're part of the family. Yeah. 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 It's, and it's, again, it's like, it's a lot of fun. It's neat. Um, it's neat when a director is able to not, is able to make like a bunch of different types of genre. Sure. Um which I kind of hope he gets to do something which, that I'm is sure, not spooky. I'm sure he will because there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of uh, sensitivity and sentimentality to a lot of Flanagan's work, and sure. you know, that is, I think, what kind of heightens the horror aspects of it. Like you actually care about these people, um, even in like you know the two that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, his dialogue is great. He it, really builds just, his characters. He's able to build the characters and the relationships between them, so you understand the motivations of what they're doing and how what's happening is affecting them instead of just like going for jump scares, which he also is very good at. Yeah. I would say I was trying to remember what I first watched, whether I had watched hush with you first, or Mm -hmm. if I had watched Hill house first and then went back and watched hush. But I I feel like we watched hush recently. I watched it back when it came out and it was just like a random movie on Netflix. Yeah. That, that was the first time I ever experienced anything that Mike Flanagan yeah. wrote and directed. Uh, and I was like, it was on my, it was on my top 10 that year. Yeah. Uh, Cause it just like blew me away with how cool it was. Kate Siegel's awesome. Kate Siegel's awesome. Um, yeah. And I feel like I finally got you, we, we sat down and watched it. I feel like we watched it maybe like two Halloweens ago or something, like for spooky season. Yeah. So I have a feeling that by that point, yeah, we, we had definitely already watched, watched Hill House. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So just to give a little background, uh, Flanagan's born in Salem, Massachusetts, but his, his father was in the Coast Guard, so he moved around quite a bit. Uh, he settled in Bowie, Maryland for quite a while. He started editing short movies uh, in high school. And kind of went on to do that and study film as he got older. And then in his really early 20s, went out to L.A., started working on like sketch comedy, reality TV, documentaries, commercials, just getting experience with editing. And then in the early aughts, he kicked off his first short film, which was a shorter version of one of the films we're going to talk about today, which is Oculus. And his short film was Oculus Chapter 3. It was supposed to be an installment in an anthology, mm-hmm. all kind of centering around this theme about a haunted mirror. And so we'll kind of get into talking about his film. But that sort of like first gave him the little step into film festivals and giving him a kick in the pants. And he went on to make Absentia, which we are going to cover in another episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we're bouncing around a little yeah. bit, trying to like kind of come up with like what would be like a good pairing. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of wham, bam, made Oculus in 2012 um, with his longtime partner, who is... Trevor Macy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is sort of like his pretty frequent collaborator. Um, and then after that, he kind of made a ton of films right right back to back. He made Before I Wake. He made Hush. He made um, Ouija. Like all within a really short period of time. And he met Kate Siegel. And then I think shortly after they made Hush, they got married They have some kids, and she's continued to work with him on a lot of his projects, which is awesome. So, you know, later on, getting into the Netflix, Made Hill House was crazy good, crazy popular, and then that kind of pushed the ball forward for Netflix to be like, yes, Mm -hmm. keep keep giving us the Flaniverse or whatever they're calling it, which is kind of funny. 
But I mean, uh, it is funny. It's it like is a, funny. Who would have thought that who this guy thought? would have would have become like Netflix's like yeah go to like horror guy. But the cool thing about that is, you know, by way of that, he he made Gerald's Game. He got to make Doctor Sleep, and which is a good movie. Which is a good movie, and you know, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of hop around a little bit between TV and film. Um, and if there is a theme, we'll try and hit on that in the future for maybe some of the stuff that we decide to group together. We mm-hmm. might have some guests. We're going to shout out to Tim Irwin. He was definitely into the Flanagan. He wants to be on some stuff. Mm-hmm. But today we were going to start out with Oculus and with Ouija, Origin of Evil, mm-hmm. which are both two of his earlier films. Um and ones that I had not seen before watching them for this podcast. Yeah, I hadn't seen Ouija Origin of Evil. Um, but I had seen Oculus uh, a few years back when I was kind of just like rummaging through his uh, earlier works. So Ouija was one I just didn't get to. Um, but Ouija's an interesting one, and we'll talk about that second because it's the second to come out. But Ouija's an interesting one because it's a sequel but a to, prequel. Like a sequel prequel to a, um, you know, kind of like not that huge of a horror movie. Like the first Ouija made money and the studio was like, get somebody to make another one. And it's as great. the story goes, they just let him do what he wanted. And it's great. And I haven't seen that one, you know, so I was a little, I was always kind of like, oh, do I have to do the homework and stuff like that to go into this? But like, I don't think so. I, I feel like maybe there's maybe a couple things that yeah. I... Uh, didn't get that were like callbacks and stuff, but they weren't that major. But we'll, we'll get to we'll it. It was very entertaining. Mm-hmm. It was a pleasant, oh, pleasant yeah. surprise. They're both very good movies. Yeah. Pretty great. Pretty great. So, yeah. You want to start out with Oculus? Yeah. Good old uh, so haunted mirror. What's our, uh, what's our take as far as you want to introduce the film a little bit? Sure. You want to... It's always fun when we do the first episodes and we're like, how do we want to do this? How do we want to do and this? We do it live. Yeah. Chippa yeah. Jabba. Um, I mean, Oculus is, uh, like you said, came out in like 2012, um, 2013. Uh, and it is about a brother and sister duo who, um, after one of them is released uh, from a mental institution after being, you know, Sent there uh, following a pretty traumatic event uh, when they were children um, that revolved around a haunted mirror um, at their family house. Uh, They get back together uh, and attempt to destroy uh, the mirror um, that ruined their lives and uh, seemingly took the lives of their parents. Uh, which we learn more and more about as it goes. Um, yeah, and it kind of goes they back also and forth to, between kid version and adult version. Yeah, they also want to capture evidence that it was the mirror the entire time yeah, wanna, to be able to clear their parents' names. Yeah, they want to prove that their dad didn't actually murder everyone, mm-hmm. um, that there was some kind of a supernatural element to it. And we want. Uh, they also want to prove that the brother didn't commit any kind of murder, right? Is that sort of implied? They, yeah, or like some the, crime? The, the sister character, um, Kaylee, who's played by uh, Karen Gillan uh, of Guardians of the Galaxy fame and yeah, stuff. she's uh, awesome. Who's also an amazing independent uh, writer-director herself. Um, uh, she's trying. She's the one that really wants to do it, whereas um, Tim, uh, played here by Brenton Thwaites, RIP to whatever happened to him, I think um, he's in some TV now. He's in some TV. I'm not, I don't mean, I'm being funny. It's, <laughs> he really does kind of seem like he's one of those guys that could have just he's launched like, off and didn't. He's like in Titans or some like some type yeah. of superhero oh, show. Yeah. What is he? Is he like Tim Drake in that? Or yeah, whatever, I think or so. Whatever. Or Dick Grayson or something. I don't or, know. Whatever. It's, it's cool. But yeah, they're uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna like spend a night in their childhood home uh, with this mirror that they get at an auction, and they're gonna there's a bunch of cameras set up and a bunch of rules to make it because the idea is that the mirror shows you whatever you want to see, and there's a whole history to it where it's like killed a bunch of people in the past in these different ways that seem weird, and essentially it kills you by like making you forget 
stuff like forget to eat forget to drink or just straight up murder yourself and go crazy yep uh and yep. murder other people or and like they're see. trying to capture that while also not falling prey to it they have all these timers yep uh to remind themselves to hydrate to eat uh to like move around to replug in the cameras switch batteries and stuff yep. like that and they have this gigantic um Sort kind of, of a sort of guillotine. Well, it's a kill switch. It's, it's like a, kill a literal switch. kill yeah. switch that, you know, if they don't reset it every hour, this gigantic anchor is going to swivel down and smash into the mirror. So if the mirror fucks with them too much and they die, it, no one's there to reset it and the mirror is going to ultimately kill itself. Sure. Yeah. That's the movie. Sure. That's the movie. That's and it's, the movie. it's them kind of, it, it, we have two timelines, them yeah. attempting to prove this and destroy this mirror. Katie Sackoff. Katie Sackoff. As the mom. Yep. And Rory Cochrane as, um. Scary dad. A, a scary dad. Which Business dad. Scary dad becomes a theme in a lot of Flanagan's work. That's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. I don't know if I immediately went there in my mind watching Oculus, but you're right. Scary, scary or absent dad. Scary absent dad. Or absent dad figure because, you know, imply it's uncle. Yeah. Becomes a little bit more malicious due to malevolent forces. Yeah. In this particular case, Mm -hmm. he's more malicious. I feel like when you get into like, like your Bly and your Hill House, it's sort of just like a bystander or not quite realizing what's going on. Classic horror parent character yeah. not believing not what's believing. going on. Like, what are you doing? Like, like I got paperwork yeah. to do. Time yeah. to go back to bed. Stop bothering me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm too busy. Your mother's very tired. She just needs some time to rest. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that fun stuff. Mother's very tired is also like, I feel like a pretty consistent theme in this. <laughs> mother's very tired. <laughs> mother's very tired and dad's acting weird. Yeah. Mother's very tired. So, and then we've got kind of like, I do kind of like the sort of brother-sister duo, and that does kind of come up again in Bly and in, and in Hill House. It's sort of like and all like the, the siblings. familial stuff is very strong is throughout most of the, most of his like work. Yeah. yeah. But this, this movie really hinges on Karen Gillan and, and Mr. Thwaites, Brenton Thwaites. Um, they're kind of our main characters and, and. They're Tim and Kaylee, and Tim is sort of like dealing with the fact that he's gone to inpatient psychiatric center therapy to come to terms with this not being real. And now his sister is sort of dragging him back. Which is like really messed up of her, but intentionally so. Like, I think her character is supposed to be, you know, she's lost it a little bit more than him even though she hasn't been institutionalized like she really has like she's obsessed with this and she's like dragging her brother back in without even asking him or telling him what they're doing like specifically until like he's already there and he really can't do anything because he's like what am I supposed to do just leave my sister here because that's the other thing too is that you need two people uh, to take the mirror down otherwise the mirror will just fuck with the one person and the rules won't work as well as like Karen Gillian like kind of Explains It's like, I can't do it without you, but I'm going to try if right. you're not going to do this. So he kind of has to. Um, Some of the things that I, f- I found really fun that I started to notice in this movie were like some of his uses of, you know, when you were talking earlier about just like lighting and set design and things like that, kind of the idea of like having characters or ghosts in your peripheral like in the background, yeah. That definitely don't necessarily come into play right away, mm-hmm. but are definitely adding to that disconcerting feeling where you're like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, did what I just see that? something there? Did what I, was that? yeah. Did I see, was that a person? What was that? Was that a ghost? What was that? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you've got kind of that cool creature design. And I was trying to look up who was playing who. And I, I feel like you looked up who was playing like one of the, the spirits. Oh well, I, is, was that maybe in Ouija? That was in Ouija. Doug Jones, yeah, famous, famous uh, Slender Boy. Slender Boy. Yeah, he plays like the demon, like air quotes demon in uh, Ouija: Origin of Evil. Uh, that you see like for like a scene or two. Yeah. I just love that there's a lot of practical effects in all of these. Yeah. I feel like that really lends itself to the, the real fear factor. There mm-hmm. are some jump scares. I am a jumpy scare kid. Mm-hmm. Um, they always work on me and for the most part. And 
he does them really well in in this and in in Ouija. <laughs> yeah, good director. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't want to expand. Good director. Good director. Oh, I mean, for all the reasons I said to you at the beginning, <laughs> it's, he's he's just very. I think he cares about what he's doing uh, 110%, even if it's something that you would think maybe someone would look down upon. Uh, like with someone who is as talented and as intelligent as he is, or would even seem to be, getting hired to like, you know, earlier in his career, like you're going to make this like sequel prequel to this like board game movie. Sure. You know, and it's like, it, and you would think like maybe he would just phone it in, make the money, get the experience, get the clout and be able to like use that somewhere else. But it really does feel like he cared and really wanted to make the best movie possible. Well, I think it's cool too, because of that, you know, so Oculus definitely is not like a student, super low budget film, but it's like a lower budget film in oh, the yeah. sense that. All, all of it takes place in this one house. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have a lot of crazy set design. Um, I think the costs in that sense are, are kept pretty low. So then when you see uh, Ouija, it's definitely like they gave him some money. And yeah. it shows. Mm-hmm. And it shows in a good way. Like, he just does some cool shit with that film. Now yeah. having, like, this extra boost from the studio, even mm-hmm. if it wasn't necessarily the content he was looking to do or need immediately. Um, it's pretty cool what he's able to do with it. Yeah. Where like Oculus feels kind of like, it seems like a student film in some ways, like not in like quality or anything, but just in the sense of like, it's a pretty easy pitch idea. It's a haunted mirror. It's a ghost story. It yep. all takes place in a single location for the most part, except for like a couple establishing stuff at the beginning. Right. Um, and again, like I was saying, it, it jumps back and forth between two time periods. So, you know, you have your actors in one time period, which is just the two of them. And then you have your actors in the other time period where it's, you know, them younger and mom and dad. Right. And you're just kind of, you're able to move back and forth those, you know, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. So it never gets too stale. That's true. Leads to some really good, like, uh, fade cuts and stuff like that when they're combining the two and like going from one to the other. Uh, you know, someone looks at something and, oh, they remember or something really creepy happens at something. And all of a sudden we cut back and that's what they're looking at. I think that kind of plays really well, too, into the sort of like the power of the mirror. Because yes. that whole like mindset is that you sort of forget where and when you are mm-hmm. because it's kind of playing tricks on you with ghosts or memory and, and time and like how time. much time has passed how long have they been there right and so it could feel like much longer to Kaylee and then all of a sudden she is able to look at her watch and realizes oh it's only been a few minutes but mm-hmm. I've been standing here in this one spot not doing anything for however long so it's, it's a pretty interesting take on just like a supernatural story in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but like what I was saying is like, it's like a student film in the sense of like, it's a very easy pitch and it's easy. It's, uh, you know, practically easy to shoot. Uh, it's different. So that makes it like unique, but it's like also kind of like this, you know, classic little ghost story that you could just kind of give more of a 21st century spin. Whereas Ouija does really feel, even like removed from just the time period of when it takes place, it feels very like old school horror, like The Exorcist and The Omen. Like it yeah. feels very like, it's very quiet and there's a priest character, which yes. is always fun when there's a priest character in these movies. <laughs> and it's Henry Thomas. And Henry Thomas, father, blah, blah. Father, sexy priest. Yes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, that's, Father Tom I, I, I is thought his name. That, that was like a very, that's a great name. Um, <laughs> I think that that's like a, a really good reason why these movies kind of match up pretty good. Not just because they're like two of his earlier works. Like he had two movies in between these movies. Yes. Um, that we'll talk about eventually. But these ones just seemed very, very uh, built to talk about the in tandem to one another. Just because they are kind of two sides of the same coin of things that. Mike Flanagan is so well known for now, uh, especially in like the Netflix series, like Hill House, and yeah. Black Mass and Blind Manor. Like there's a lot of that DNA and like little, little like seeds in Going all these movies. And watching and you're like, it. Oh yeah, he did that. Eventually. Yeah. There's, there's certain establishing shots or certain, you know, practical effects that he does in both of these films that I definitely recognize in Hill House. And I was like, awesome. Mm-hmm. Because it's sort of like 
not that he's played out, but just the, the ground, you could see their groundwork was laid for all of these ideas that he was going to go on to use later on when he had more funding and also more control over what he wanted to do, yeah. which is very cool. And plus, if, if we do go on to Ouija, it kind of builds, it starts building his sort of uh, core troop of, of people. Yeah. Um, like we said, Henry Thomas is in there as a comforting yet attractive priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film takes place in the late 60s. I think it's supposed to be right before people walk on the moon. It's sort of like that time period. Mm-hmm. Um and Elizabeth Reeser is sort of the main character, mm-hmm. um, and she's sort of like a fake fortune teller. She does seances. Mm-hmm. She, you know, it's sort of like she's she's doing it as a stunt, and we're from the beginning led to believe that it is a stunt. You know, that she's sort of like doing it as a trick, and she involves her two kids in the practical effects of making people believe that they're talking to their dead relative mm-hmm. so that's sort of the the, the setup yeah the, she's, a, the she's setup. a she's a hustler but you know she's also like she's she convinces herself maybe and tries to convince her kids that like well it's for a good cause like we're giving these we're people, helping people yeah we're, we're letting these people move on they're and getting like, closure yes, yeah, yeah yeah it's sort of fake therapy for them in a way mm-hmm. and so the older daughter is actually played by the same actress that plays the young karen gillen in, in oculus mm-hmm. um annalise basso she plays lena and then the younger actress is lulu wilson who plays doris and she's sort of the kid character that the movie starts out knowing that the father had died. And so to a certain extent, she really wishes that this was real because she would like to be able to talk to her dad again. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lena goes to a party where someone has just gotten the board game, Ouija, the Ouija board. They have a good time. They try it out. And she recommends to her mom that she adds it to the to the act. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the movie goes that little Doris actually contacts somebody, but not who you think. Yeah. Classic. Classic. She's trying to contact her dad. She finds that she can speak to somebody, but it's not her dad. But it does know all of these things that seemingly only the dad would know. Right. Or um, somebody who's somebody had, who's been in the house, been the in the time, house, which is a very creepy. Yes. It, again, it's one of the things that's so interesting about the ghosts, the rules of the ghosts in Hill House and Blind Manor, which are very similar rules, um, but not exactly the same. Again, they're two completely different stories, and also to that extent, the rules of like Bly. you know, yeah. Midnight Mass and what's in that and stuff. I want to be hesitant to like say too much about spoilers for stuff that people might not have gotten to if we're not covering it and stuff. Yeah. And that's a big one. Yeah. Um, but it's like the rules that he kind of builds out are very creepy. Like, like in Hill you, House, like if you die in a place, which is like a great like that's been done in, in a couple movies beforehand and so you know books. Yeah, uh, Bly Manor in particular is is that. Yeah, because you do get some ghosts traveling outside of Hill House. Yes, yeah. Um, but in Bly, if you die on the property, you your ghost stays. Yeah, on you're the property. stuck there. Yep. Yeah, and it's. Uh, like in this one, it's just very interesting of just like, like all of the, all of the ghosts that are in this house are just like, they're in every room. Yeah. They can hear everything. They've seen everything that you've done. So like the mom is like trying to double check this, you know, and be like, what's going on here? And asking, asking this like unseen force. Only questions she only thinks, questions her, she thinks her, her husband, husband would, would know, know, but they're conversations that happened in the house. Sure. And so. There's all these demons and one's just like, well, I was there when that happened. So I'll answer that one. And no, yeah. I'll answer this one. And they're all kind of like working together, uh, which is uh, super scary and uh, mean. Super scary and super mean. And they are able to bring it back to scary uh, experiments on people that happened in the house. Oh, yeah. Right. That's, <laughs> which is kind of the more ridiculous plot line. I love it. Yeah. But like, that's like, there's nothing better than like. The so Nazi. what happens in the third act? The oh, Nazi doctor. Like a Nazi doctor was in the basement and all of his tools are still down there and we're going to go down there and, and check it out. It's like, oh, okay. There's bodies buried in the walls. So, yeah. it's, you know, you got some Edgar Allan Poe. You got some, you know, other elements that mm-hmm. are your your horror, your scary genre. Um, that was definitely the, the more 
the less tangible part for me, I guess, where I was sort of like, oh, I didn't really need for this to be here, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I, and I feel like that's just like one of those kind of like bananas ideas that Flanagan was just, that kind of shows like, oh, they were just, they just let him do whatever he wanted. I hope so. Like, I really, I feel like a studio that was watching over their precious Ouija sequel prequel <laughs> being directed by this guy, uh, you know, I would imagine like if they were, if they were precious about it in any way, that they third act reveal, they would have been like, what are you doing? Like, what? Yeah. When is that? What? What is that? Yeah. So the, so the film is pretty tame in the beginning, I would say. Like it lays this groundwork of like these two little girls, single mom, trying to make it in the 60s. They go to Catholic school. Older sister is a teen. So she's getting like her first boyfriend. She's sort of testing her teenage limits, wants to drink, wants to go out with friends. Little sister is really bummed that her dad died. And things start happening at school. She gets picked on a little bit. She's a little bit weird. But you've got Father Tom, who's looking out for her, being really kind. And he actually ends up being the first one to really notice that some weird shit is happening. Well, yeah, because he's like, what the fuck is this yeah because like, it, it's kind of like that thing it's like uh it is a little exercise a man of faith you know yeah. a man of the cloth a man a, of god and he's looking little, at this he's like yeah. what no, yeah. no 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 this yeah. is now right I, I went he's like i went to school for this this right. stuff doesn't exist no what is this? Yeah. yeah so little doris starts like getting help with her homework i went to school for this. i went to school for this <laughs> a priest yeah. just like no no look look i got my degree yeah. in like knowing how demons and gods work. seminary school mm -hmm. yeah i like that little doris gets some serious help on her homework from the spirit world very nice um you know and they even like help write her homework like her penmanship is vastly That's improving stuff, yeah. then she's writing in other languages like in polish and stuff mm -hmm. pretty cool pretty scary Mm -hmm. um, and More like Rosetta Bone, am I right? Ooh. Happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, the things that I really enjoyed, though, were like watching the the kind of the setup where they're doing the fake seances for people and being able to see that initial first seance where you're like, is this real? And yeah, then they present it to you like it's real. And then, yeah. you, then they, they reveal to you the tricks, which yeah. always reminds me people... I've been doing this in movies and shows forever. Always reminds me of um, the first episode, the first couple episodes of Carnival. Yeah. When he's learning all of the totally. tricks. Kind of like they did it in... Um, and they do it in American Horror Story Freak Show, but that's the, yep, later. And it's, that's it like is kind of imitating like Carnival. Like stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. They do it in, uh, whatchamacallit? Nightmare Alley. Nightmare well Alley. Like, I love that idea yeah. where it's like, here's this thing. You've always heard about it. Yep. You know, a seance thing. And it's like, this is how it works. And then you get a peek behind the curtain. It's yes. like, no, they're doing this. Kids they're making flickering this noise. This. They're flickering the There's lights. There's a magnet they're shaking that she puts on her knee and yeah. she gets the coin to move. And she gets, you know, mm -hmm. I, I love that stuff. I love it. Yeah. Movies, man. <laughs> I like the other day I was talking to... We were talking about Halloween ends and stuff like that, uh, which, you know, I love and I know that a lot of people don't. Uh, you really like it, too. We watched I it for enjoyed. a second time. While we I enjoyed. Pumpkins the other night. It's, it's a, a good time. I uh, can't wait to see it again. And it's like in talking to people about it, they're like, how can you like that movie? And I'm like, well, first off, it's a really good movie. But removing that one specifically, I like watching movies. Sure. Me and you are just built different. Like, I, I have tastes. I can tell when something's bad, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to like it. I will you know? say, though, I, I just will... like movies. I like the whole thing. So I will preface this series, Freaking Out with Flanagan, with the fact that Diana DeMiro is a little bit of a chicken. Yeah, you did not like horror movies at all when we got together. Yeah, so... You, it was very weird. I Well, because I have a lot of nightmares. Sure. So... And I've had a lot of nightmares my whole life. Mm -hmm. I have a very active imagination. Mm -hmm. um, I watched the Tim Curry, Pennywise, Stephen King's It miniseries by myself as a preteen at home one night. My dad was fucking with me and turned all the lights out about halfway through. And I had a lot of nightmares those next few days. Mm -hmm. So I definitely wasn't an avid horror movie watcher, maybe because I was a lot younger than my older siblings. So I didn't really have someone to introduce me to that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I would say my dad was more of a like uh, 
James Bond and sci-fi, Star Trek, you know, Star yeah. Wars, stuff like that. He yeah. wasn't as much of a horror movie fan. So he didn't, you know, he would occasionally be like, oh, the thing is on or something like that. Right. But he didn't really like deep encourage me yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to watch horror movies with him. Not horror saying as a didn't. genre is like the deeper you go, oh, the yeah. weirder it gets. It gets weird. And it's so much fun down here. It like, gets weird. But like the thing about the it uh, miniseries real quick, like the, the thing that's so scary about that movie, to me at least is um, it's not just like the performances and what's happening and what makes the story scary. It's like that movie was made for like nothing. Yeah. Like it was so cheap. <laughs> so it like, it feels, um, it feels like fake sometimes. It like does. you're like, especially removed nowadays. Like back then I was like, this is like a huge deal. We're going to watch this. Balloons but, like, full of blood. You watch it now and you're yeah. just like, it makes the really creepy things even creepier. Sure. Because it feels real. Like, Remember I was talking to you about uh, me and Brian, my buddy Brian Renee, and we watched Edge of the Axe, this movie from like 1980-something. Mm -hmm. And it's shot really poorly, but some of it looks really cool, and the acting is really bad. And then the and so you're like, this feels like there's no effort being put into it at all. It's really good, but um, whenever like someone would get hit with an axe... Like, the way that it, like, they just didn't know the rules of, like, you have to cut away and, like, you know, it's scarier if they think. No, you just see someone getting hit with an axe. So when yeah. it happens, connected with all the other stuff happening in the movie that feels fake and, like, no effort, you're like, holy shit, is he actually hitting that person with an axe? Right. Like, it, it, like, does yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, it, you're just like, wait, so the clown's in the sewer? Yeah. That's the clown that's in the sewer. That's like the, the fact that he's never out of makeup. Yeah. He almost doesn't look like Tim Curry because of all the different prosthetics on him. Like, oh, yeah. And stuff I mean, like it that. took me years before I realized that was Tim Curry. It's the same thing with the new Pennywise, too. You're yeah. like, you can see Skarsgård in there if you know it's him. But he looks so like they just yeah. twisted everything around. Yep. Dead eye. Cutie patootie Skarsgård. <laughs> yep. Barbarian. Go watch it. <laughs> bah, bah, you stand. Um, but yeah, so, you know, prefacing this as I would say that if you're not your average hardcore horror fan, that Flanagan is a good gateway into watching horror because there is a lot of great characters, great story arcs, um, and sort of like a lot of calm before the storm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of waiting for stuff to happen, which I find can be scarier yeah. than the actual blood, guts, murder. Um, and so in that way, it can be really scary, but I feel like there's a little something for everybody in most of these movies. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I mean, it's the, the, you know, the very tired debates of like whether the term elevated horror should be like a thing. I'm not mm. one of those people that's like, I hate that. It's like, it's term... A genre within a genre. It's a little derogatory. I get it. But, you know, I feel like people put it on things that are a little too. Like, I think that like, like something like the Vavitch. The Vavitch. Or even maybe something hereditary? like Hereditary is maybe something closer to what I consider to be elevated horror because this is. Stuff that's very tension building and just very slow and, you know, we're talking about family grief, but like all horror does that. But like, I don't agree with something like Get Out being elevated horror just because it's about something. Okay. All horror movies, the best ones are about something. Sure. Like even Michael Myers and Halloween, like that's about like this could just happen in your town, you know, and this is sure. about, yeah. you know, it's like it's it doesn't mean like, you know, the more metaphorical it is, the more elevated it is. I think it's more just kind of in the tone. Well, one of the things that I like most about Ouija, or Ouija, you tell me. Ouija. Ouija. It's a Ouija board. I know, it's a Ouija but board. But it's spelled Ouija. Ouija. Mm -hmm. Origin of evil. But it's also one of those other languages. Sure. But what I like is that this movie is really about grief. Yeah. And to a certain extent, so is Oculus. But I think more so in this film... He really lays the groundwork for this to be about grief. And I feel like that's a really common theme yeah. that he goes back to again and again. Someone going through that. How do they deal with it? What are they willing to go through or do to prevent having to actually deal with their grief mm -hmm. or as a means for dealing with their grief yeah. and that sort of leading to all this other crazy shit. All this crazy shit that can, you know, that is metaphorical sure. and allegorical right. of what 
the point of the movie is. You know, right. Oculus is more about trauma than grief, even though trauma causes grief. Sure. But it's more about facing your trauma, looking in the mirror and facing your trauma and kind of like figuring out like what was my complicity in that? Because that's that's the thing that the, that the sister is really kind of dealing with is that she was very complicit in allowing it to get as far as it did because she didn't try hard enough. She didn't she didn't yell at the dad enough when there was still time, when he was still kind of still a little there. When they, they were still kids. When they were still yeah, when they were still kids. Yeah. Like it's she She also let her brother get taken away. I mean, I I know she was a kid. Yeah. But and I she essentially like lets her brother her get committed like, to you know, a not, psychiatric center and yeah, she's not just only free. all the stuff that happened, but she feels like because she was the mom is like taken out of the equation. She so feels early, responsible. Yeah. And she feels responsible because she was the only one that maybe could have done something. And she keeps trying to do things. Like she gets the neighbor, she yeah. calls the cops. She and calls, that's kind of another theme, I feel like, as far as like whether it's parental or sibling or just sort Sort of like a parental type figure of somebody experiencing trauma and then feeling guilt either at they survived mm-hmm. or feeling guilt that they didn't protect another person um and that that happens in hill house a lot there's a touch of it in black oh, I mean, there's like every i mean every all in, in the midnight house. mass deals with that a lot yeah, in hill house um, it's like every every sibling child is, is dealing with their own is, shit is a different like version of what how yeah. you deal with a traumatic situation. Yes. Like, is it guilt? Is I don't it remember grief? you Do telling you me that. Like, and that is like one the, of the yeah. coolest ways to they're look all at like that. These like that five series. different stages. And that's just like that's a very interesting thing to toss on to like your familial uh ghost haunted house story. You know, it's like a right. haunted house story is like maybe one of the most old stories that you can spooky stories that you can tell. And yeah. I feel like you know, neither of the houses are really haunted in either of these movies. It's more the people are haunted. And that's what Hill House and Blind Manor is all about. Is I that, mean, really, that's the theme of all of his stuff. Yes. Is the that, people that are haunted. We, that, that places aren't haunted. <laughs> yeah. People are. Yeah. And I mean, that goes on to be even in this newer work that's a little more teen focused in Midnight Club. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about that sooner than later since that just dropped. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know dealing with grief, dealing with death, and that the people themselves are haunted mm-hmm. is a great way to look at it. Yeah. 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 Should we do a monologue check? In a, what does that any mean? Mo- any monologues? Not, you know, everybody makes fun of Flanagan for his monologues. All right, so I you, like it. you introduced this idea. Okay. Monologue check. Don't think there's too many monologues in this thing. In these no, things. But introduce the, the thing that... that that some people dislike or oh uh yeah because I mean, honestly i didn't i didn't mike flanagan has a lot of monologues in his uh works his more popular works because I would say most notably very, in midnight mass midnight mass well in midnight mass he really goes for it because there's this one scene that the fact that this scene contains like three or four monologues and completely defines who these characters are going to be before shit really starts going crazy sure. is like a testament to how good he is. I think people notice it. And once you notice it, the magic's kind of gone and then it's all you can focus on. But for me, like, I'm just like, I can't believe he's doing this right now. It's crazy. And monologues are just people talking for an extremely long amount of time. And just they're the only ones really talking and someone's listening to them or they're talking well, to themselves. I mean, I think with Midnight Mass, too, the, the nature of Midnight Mass is church. Yeah. And so you have a minister and mm-hmm. that person is going to be speaking predominant, yeah. predominantly. In the same thing with Midnight Club, it's about a bunch of people each telling taking a story. turns, yeah. telling Which stories. Which is a little different because then yeah. you have characters that have dialogue within the stories sure. and stuff like that. Yeah, you cut back and forth. I think what gets people a little bit more is like when these characters of Mike Flanagan's because the dude is extremely smart and I think he's calculated um, and I think that he understands that sometimes you don't need to tease out revelations and stuff you just need to get the information out there yeah but also at the same time when you're revealing something about a character and they're revealing something about themselves people don't just say the most important stuff they rattle on like me you do they just rattle on and like they have but you know they're actually it's pre-written and it's thematic and everything that they're saying makes sense to what's going on reality check gonna call flanniverse michael burge likes to take tangents when he's telling a story and and i frequently after 10 years together i've have 
occasionally said to spit it out mm-hmm. um, in a not patient tone. Mm-hmm. So I'll try Get not to, to the point. I'll try not to do that on this <laughs> podcast because tangents are fun when you're doing a podcast. But I would say uh, Oculus, maybe Karen Gillan talks the most because she's she kind of laying the, the groundwork. She, she does, does the rule setting. The rules is what we're doing. She's kind of catching her brother up on all this crazy shit. You gotta eat. You gotta yeah. drink. We gotta have the timer. But, we got the cameras. And I think that that's to the defense of people that don't, because I know that some people are listening right now and they're just like, yeah, but that's not what I mean. But then it's like, yeah, no, yeah. with monologue, yeah. it's like one person just being like, you know, it's like, I always thought that blue was the warmest color. But then I realized it's actually red, red, the color of my staircase, the bookshelf. Like, it's that kind of stuff where they're, they're going. I like, uh, I like your dramatic voice that you Thank were just you. doing just now. Um, I also like that I just randomly pulled blue is the warmest color, like, out of and my you haven't, head. And you haven't seen that movie. I haven't seen that movie. It's a great fucking I movie. I really want to fucking see it. Um, it's a de- I just disagree. I think red is the warmest it's color. It's a I've devastating movie. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's really good. Um, But uh, I would say, you know, maybe later on you you get some characters doing that in your Netflix TV series occasionally. Oh, definitely. But um, right now... I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. I I think it's neat. I actually have never really noticed it um, as something that distracted me or annoyed me. Maybe until the episode that we'll talk about in Midnight Mass. Because it's just so intense. It's, it's so like, intense and it's so prevalent. And it's kind of like when you do a one take. Yeah. You know, a whole episode in one take, seemingly. It's like, yeah. you start, once you notice it, you're like, oh, this is yeah. really cool. Yeah. Monologue is like the dialogue version of that. Of course. Like, this guy's course. been talking for like three minutes. And I also think that part of that, the reason that I thought that that was so noticeable at the time um, for Midnight Mass is because it kind of centers around two characters, one of whom is Kate Siegel. Mm-hmm. And in the previous incarnation of her being in something, she barely speaks yes. or doesn't speak at all. And so all of a sudden you have this huge scene of just her telling a story, just her telling her thoughts and feelings on something. And it becomes pretty intense because it is talking about life and the afterlife and, faith, and, and what very faith and what happens when you die. And, you know, those are those are conversations for another day when mm-hmm. we cover Midnight Mass. Fun. But, yeah. Yeah. So any other favorite tidbits of Ouija? Yeah, I mean... I feel like we talked about Oculus a lot. I do think Oculus is the better movie comparing these two. I think Ouija I think, is really fun, though. It's really good. No, I like them both better a Better movie, Oculus. I, I think Oculus is just tighter because I think it's more of his pure idea. Maybe more entertaining. Ouija is very entertaining. Ouija is very entertaining. It's got some really good, like, uh, like scares. It's got that really wild third act. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I want to talk about that third act a yeah, tiny bit yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. Because it is really ridiculous. It's, you know, it, Kate it's, is finally, Doris is finally full on possessed. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is fun. Child possession is fun. Mm-hmm. In movies. <laughs> in movies. Yeah. In movies. Yeah. Don't, I, I don't want to dabble in that. I don't suggest it, no. No, yeah, I don't want to dabble in that in real life, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I love Henry Thomas as Father Tom. He's trying to be helpful. We've got Elizabeth Reeser as the mom who's sort of like pseudo-attracted to Father Tom because his wife passed away. They like go out for a nice dinner, which I find a little weird. But uh, I love seeing Doris be possessed and crawling on the ceiling mm-hmm. and yeah. all the fun spooky things. Spooky kid stuff. Spooky Yay. kid stuff. Um, I don't love the Nazi... Like experimentation with the scary torture tools. It's so out um, of control. It is so it's intense so and sort of out of left field. It really is out of left field. Like I feel like they do plant the idea, like, well, what's the reveal of like what's yeah. going on here? Going to so be who are, but, who, like who are crazy, these demons crazy in the house? Nazi, yeah, I almost said ex-Nazi. Yeah, we know those don't exist. Yeah, uh, crazy <laughs> Nazi down at Master Gardener, uh, crazy yeah. Nazi doctor down in the basement kidnapping people and killing people and doing experiments on them was like not on the list of what I thought was going to happen. At no, the end of the movie. I mean it works really well in Barbarian, but not as well in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Careful. Careful. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I would say a lot of fun. Go check it out. Yeah, I mean, I feel like these earlier movies, things that are kind of before, you know, Gerald's Game and Hill House and stuff like that, even to the extent something like Hush, 
Yeah. Uh, people don't really check out as much, and I yeah. think that they should. Hush is fucking great. Hush is great. And so I'm really excited when we get to talking about that. But I think uh, we may jump ahead and and touch oh, on yeah. Midnight Club I'd for like our next ar- step. I'd like to jump around on this yeah. one just because, you know, there's a lot of big shows in there where, like, all right, we can do two movies or three movies for this episode, right. but now we got to crunch, like, these crunch 13 episodes and yeah. stuff like that. So I'd like, and I'd like to jump around, too, and, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally down with that. I think that that's, I don't think we really need the full-on context of where he's coming from because we kind of did that with this. Yeah. You know, what happened is first, like, kind of, like, these two big movies that really kind of solidified, like, these movies made money because they were cheaply made. Ouija had, like, a brand name to that it. That is true. So really was able yeah. to get him, like... He made the festival circuit. Yep. He got a you lot of saw buzz. his name on something. Yeah. You know, Hush is fantastic. Before I wake, I've heard really good things about. And I think that part of the, the strength that he brings to the table is having so much experience doing editing. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's a really good editor. Um, and, that you know, the people he's choosing to work with on these later pieces... He's really building his A-team that he keeps working with again and again. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll be a lot of fun to kind of look at the rest of these films and who's doing the filming, who's doing cinematography, who's doing sound stuff, and then which actors are popping up again and again. It's a lot of fun. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and it's like we've got like a really solid episode that we'll do at one point where we're going to do his like shorts. Not even his shorts, but like at least look like student student films. Student films. Make Believe, Still Life, Ghosts of Hamilton Street. Those are all his student films. Yep. You know, and he made one other, like, kind of spooky-esque movie right before this called Absentia, which we haven't seen. That's his, like, first big one. That's his first big one in 2011. So we've got, like, a bunch of stuff to jump around on. We get to finally do our Doctor Sleep commentary, which I'm very excited about. I'm excited to watch that again. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good stuff. Yeah, so thank you, listeners. If you have sort of questions or things that you're hoping we'll delve into, hit us up. Uh, we're go to storyscreenbeacon.com for all your lovely film, television, and other pop culture content. We've got articles, we've got podcasts, we've got links to our videos on our YouTube channel. You can hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can go to storyscreenbeacon.com and find out showtimes and cool shit that is happening at our brick and mortar theater in Beacon, New York. Um, and yeah, just, we got lots of content on there. So take a look, hit us up, uh, always give us a like or a subscribe, hit that button. If you can, anywhere that you're listening to these podcasts. And if you have questions or things you would like for us to cover on future episodes, hit us up in the comments. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There we go. Okay. Did it. Happy Halloween, buds. Yeah, happy Halloween. I think we got some trick-or-treaters are about to start showing up. Yeah, they're starting to show up. So, uh, peace. We'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Stay spooky. Bye.